I'm Jimmy Young, the host of Green Rush Live, along with Josh Kincaid, our regular uh, fill-in guest host, if you will, and also a correspondent on our We Talk News show, which, by the way, follows this live stream, this really live stream, if you will, uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And if you haven't seen We Talk News, I'm very, very proud of the um, effort that the people put this thing together uh, from all over the country and even the world sometimes. We have reporters in Israel and Europe and Canada now, and they contribute their little 90-second view of what's going on in the cannabis space as, as we continue to document the end, or at least the beginning of the end, of prohibition of cannabis in this state. But we are talking about the ArcView Investment Summit that's coming up this week in New York City. And yes, uh, Pro Cannabis Media is a media sponsor. And Sarah, uh, <laughs> Sarah Falvo joins us. She is, of course, one of the business development people at ArcView. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Always fun to chat with you. Yep. And also Scott Delgado. He is uh, of the Managing Director of Capital Markets. Scott, welcome to Green Rush Live. And tell us a little bit about what you do as Managing Director of Capital Markets. Sure. Thank you. Glad to be here, uh, Jimmy. Appreciate it. And Josh and, and Sarah, great to see you. Um, my role uh, is, is, is handling uh, public capital markets transactions for my broker dealer, IPOs and follow-ons. We do a fair bit of that activity, not quite so much in cannabis, but that'll come someday. And I also lead uh, a cannabis-focused investment banking team of five bankers around uh, the country uh, working with operators on debt and equity raises and strategic activity. Well, you opened up that little comment that little subject debt and equity raises um sarah would you like to to de describe what the differences are there or should i let scott do that i'll let scott do that <laughs> he's the pro <laughs> i'm pro at other things. scott what's the difference between that. equity financing and debt financing and isn't debt financing the american way <laughs> um, uh, I, they're both pretty common uh, in our American capitalism. Um, you know, in in, in cannabis, uh, it's harder to raise equity these days. Equity is kind of the riskiest part of the capital structure. It's the the part where you know the 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 returns after you pay off the debtors. That's all left. You know, the values left for the equity holders. They don't get a fixed coupon. They don't get their money back unless there is some kind of a sale or you know they you know can sell their shares in the public market. Whereas debt financing. Um, is more widely available. There's a, 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 a good bit of debt capital that's been raised around the marketplace. And these are, you know, senior uh, secured typically in, in, in the industry. You have to pay interest on it. It's pretty high in cannabis. You're talking teens rates. Um, sometimes there's warrants attached to it. Um, but this is, you know, people try to, to layer in debt on their real estate and others. They think it's a lower cost of capital, tends to be. Um, but you have to pay those interest payments. And if your business struggles, as some in cannabis have and can, given the volatility, making those interest payments can be hard and, you know, you might lose your company uh, or have to go have some tough conversations. So, you know, there's flexibility uh, in, in cost differences between the two or some of the major uh, differences. Yeah. Sarah, can we take the temperature of the uh, cannabis industry right now? Because it was just about, I want to say a month ago, we had a show. Uh, Kurt Dalton from Cannabis.net had written a great little uh, opinion piece, I think they call them blogs, um, about how the cannabis industry is failing and is dying and woe is me. And I, I'd like to get a better feel from someone who's in the trenches, if you will. Um, is it dying? Is it more difficult to get investment right now? What is the temperature of the industry? Absolutely. I think that 
it's hard to get investment just period right now, no matter what type of industry it is. Um, it's just the, the markets and just everybody's kind of having cold feet, but there is optimism. You know, I think I'm based in California, so I kind of see firsthand the just kind of dumpster fire more or less of what's going on over here. It's just oversaturation race to the bottom with prices. So we're we as California are going through that right now, but there's optimism everywhere else. So like our event is in New York next week and just the buzz in that state for what is coming is so exciting. So that's also one of the reasons we chose to do our show out there versus California, because it's just a different type of climate right now. So I think that there's growing pains as each mature market is just going through that. Um, but there's so much opportunity still. So there's absolutely optimism out there. Uh, Josh, as someone who's managed funds in the past, if you will, um, what's your feeling about the temperature of the cannabis industry right now? And, you know, I think Sarah put a very realistic spin on it. How, how do you view it? I think there's a lot of consolidation. There's a lot of folks that uh, are in high license areas, Oregon to Oklahoma. Um, the West is kind of um, on fire right now. So there, there's a lot of distressed assets available. So there's kind of this East Coast, West Coast. There's a lot of excitement on the East Coast. I went to New York and Chicago and did some pot shop crawls. Um, and I don't, I don't think the numbers are going to reach what the estimates are for New York, but it's going to be interesting. California will will reign supreme. It's just um, fifth largest GDP. If you know Newsom can hold on to its population and businesses, um, assuming that, I don't think New York has a chance. Scott, I want to let you get in on this one. What's your feeling about the New York market, the potential, the upside? And like everything in cannabis, uh, it's almost like dog years. It just takes time to develop. It's, it's very well said. Um, you know, we like to say things just take longer and they cost a lot more in cannabis, uh, kind of a couple of truisms. Um, my sense is, on just generally speaking, on the temperature, it's hard to paint the temperature brush too broadly. Every state is its own marketplace, you know, and so there's kind of capital flows, which are pretty tepid right now and pretty cold. And then there's just the industry fundamentals, and they're strong in places like New Jersey, but there has been heavy commoditization in certain states like Michigan a little sooner than people thought. And so, you know, that's kind of can put a damper on kind of specific specific activity in a certain state. Um, but New York is, is, is right around the corner. Um, there's been a tremendous amount of activity with the hemp licenses, the, the hemp farmers who kind of got themselves THC licenses. That's really been going on all year long. A lot of interest in trying to partner with, with those folks and find farms and kind of sort that out. Um, you know, I, I think there's people that uh, broadly speaking, you know, these retail stores, we're wondering when they're going to get open. I think that's a big question. The state's kind of said they're hoping to get, I think, 20 open by the end of the year, I think, you know, a lot of people are think that's going to be lower than that. And so then in the next year, you know, you, even if you have these farmers growing cannabis now, what, are the, what stores are they going to put them in? And so I think that, you know, there is some concern that the retail stores won't get open. There's a lot of talk about the kind of gray market that's popped up, you know, in New York City, it's very prevalent. And the kind of concerns that you could have a kind of a persnickety gray market really developing um, before the legal market does. So um, I think you've seen, you know, if you look at, um, at a big picture, a big 
big public companies, uh, Ascend, backed out of their deal with MedMed to step away from New York. Uh, and then just today, Verano ended its deal with, with Goodness Growth, which also had a New York asset. So I think you've seen some big players kind of say it may not be, you know, a real rosy marketplace right away. It's going to take a while. And that's kind of my view. And I think that's a borderline of consensus. Um, you know, if you're not in the state, you're kind of wondering how quickly you should be getting in at this point. Yeah. Sarah, do you concur with Scott's assessment of that? Absolutely. Everything he just said, even from the gray market stores in New York, which will absolutely have an impact on legal markets, especially, you know, we see that in California too. There is opportunity still. So yes, I absolutely agree. All right. Well, I think I, I see a new member in our Zoom room. Uh, I believe that, uh, is it Sebo Shen with us? Hello? Is he there? We see yeah. him. He's, he's now he's he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just see if we could get him uh, connected. But it's a very nice still photo of him right now in our <laughs> in our Zoom room. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep talking. Um, the gray market uh, is probably the biggest winner in the ongoing legalization movement or decriminalization movement because I really think that um, the legal movement hasn't matured enough to really take on a competitor who can completely undercut the pricing and also deliver quality uh, product out there. Uh, how big a factor is this gray market that's always been around in California, Sarah, hasn't it? Yes, yes. I mean, um, Humboldt County is king still. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I it's a hard topic because you know, in my mind, I would never, ever buy an unregulated vape or edible or anything like that. But on the flip side, I also don't hold it against people when they get their flower from a plug. So I, you know, my own personal views, it's hard because you don't want to pay $65, $70 for an eighth of flour going out the store. And especially if you're a heavy consumer, that is a lot of money. However, like I would never touch a beverage in a gray market. I would never like take any consumables like that from a gray market. So it's interesting. It's still kind of, it's being worked out here. Um, it definitely has an impact. I think more uh, counties are lifting the bans on retail and are being more open to that. Um, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going anywhere the gray market, no matter how much regulation and legalization comes. So that's kind of just a main point in general, too. All right. I, I think we have now connected with Sabo. Are you with us, Sabo Shen? Hello? Hey, you guys. How, how's everyone doing? There we go. We're doing well. We're happy you're, you're joining us here. Uh, can you give us a little background on exactly what you're up to? And I know you have had some experience um, with the uh, cannabis industry from a both um, a positive front and also if you were in the vape world, uh, that too was a tad controversial there for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I am still uh, partially in the cannabis industry. Um, I stepped down as CEO last February to focus on a um, uh, mindset and meditation coaching business. And primarily, most of my clients are burnt out cannabis entrepreneurs. So that's why I say I still have one foot in the door in the cannabis industry. But my overall experience with the cannabis industry has been extremely, extremely positive. I know that there's a lot of polarizing things that have gone on, but at least for me, you know, all of it was a lot of a lot of great personal professional growth. And yeah, you know, when Vapegate hit, 
Um, it was not uh, music to my ears, but it did really push me as an entrepreneur um, and to really, you know, understand like the products that we're putting out there, how they're affecting people. And, you know, I guess pat on uh, back for ourselves, you know, none of our products ever had lead, mercury, cadmium, or any of the toxic metals that were found in, in the uh, cartridges that um, were part of Vapegate. Yeah, it, it, I understand your, your company was Vape Exhale, am I right? Uh, yes, correct. Vape Exhale and Hanu Labs. Yeah, um, and I loved how you called it Vapegate, by the way. That, was, I, that wasn't lost on me. <laughs> um, that, how much of an effect did that have on your business, obviously? Oh, um, that had a huge effect on our business, um, even though our products did not contain any mm -hmm. of the toxic metals and things of that nature. Um, business was down probably anywhere between 40 and 60 percent. So there was definitely a big impact. Um, and that's why I was saying it really pushed me to be an entrepreneur, because, you know, we had to figure out different ways to um, keep the business running you know, even when the revenue wasn't coming in and whether that was through raising more investment dollars or cutting back or just figuring out, you know, different things that we could do to keep the lights on and make use of the talent on our team. And we had to get really resourceful and scrappy in order to make it through that. Can you and speculate that, how much you would have made if cafes were legal? Because you and I met in 2015 with the Seattle Superchronic Cafe and that's how I found Vape Exhale. We we met through San Francisco Mutual Connection, um, and I got one of your units. Still a it's still a felony to have a, a a cafe in Washington, but can you speculate on on what that would have done to your revenues? Hmm. You, you know, it, it's um, I I could speculate and say yes, our revenues would be significantly higher. Our device, actually, I have it sitting right next to me, is a plug-in vaporizer that would be really great for lounges that really wanted something that was on 24-7 that could both do flower and concentrates um, in one device. And so, you know, for me, you know, like I, I love the idea of cannabis lounges and being able to have people come from multiple areas or multiple parts of the town and just sit down and really enjoy cannabis together. That was one of my biggest dreams. And that's why we designed the first device to be this way. But because that never came into fruition, you know, the vape pens and the more portable and stealthy devices really got really popular. And that's what we ended up making too. And that's where the majority of our revenue came in from was from the vape cartridges. But my heart was always with, you know, the devices that really gave the best user experience. And then I really loved like the whole aspect of, I mean, I do love cannabis, but one of the reasons why I loved it so much was being able to sit down with different people, just share a joint, be able to talk about whatever was top of mind that day and really expand my knowledge base and my consciousness while doing that. Yeah, the socialization of this plant and the role it's played in our world um, has always lent itself to uh, hanging out with people. And I tell you what, it brings total strangers together when you get right down to it. I, I can I can admit that, right? Look at you. He's, he's all excited about that. Hey, hey Scott, I got to go back to you and ask some financial questions, if you don't mind. As you probably are aware, you know, we're there's all sorts of doom and gloom, um, economic predictions going on you know we're near a recession we've got runaway inflation or at least enough inflation to drive us all nuts uh we've had uh, an international war uh, that has impacted our own world from day to day pricing at, at supermarkets and now i hear that the investment dough is is slowly 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 it's not drying up it's just slowing down What's your assessment? What's going to bring us back? And how much of an impact is our current economy having on uh, investment in the cannabis space? 
big questions there. Uh, if I had a crystal ball, um, I'd be, you know, managing money probably like Joshua does. Um, <laughs> I, I think, look, you know, these, we had a really long bowl run, you know, and, 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 a, and a really nice go and that doesn't go on forever. Um, and you've had a, you know, a series of things kind of really caused that dislocation. Interest rates are such a massive driver in finance markets, you know, and so when, and, you know, kind of supply chain woes and things are causing inflation to tick up and we've got good employment, you know, the Fed's got to focus on the other side of their mandate, which is price stability. And so that's, you know, caused raising of interest rates and everybody's been waiting all year for inflation to come down. Um, and it needs to come down significantly so the Fed doesn't have to keep raising rates higher. It's really pretty straightforward. You know, the Fed interest rates need to be above the inflation rate, period. You know, and until there's that kind of a matchup, rates kind of need to go up. So um, inflation's continued to remain high. You know, you talk about, you know, kind of fuel costs and things, cost of food, it hits the consumer in the pocketbook. Um, and they pulled back on their cannabis spending, you know, really clearly. Um, I think, you know, there's always been some question of, is this, you know, kind of a consumer staple like, al like alcohol and cigarettes and people will kind of, you know, give up, you know, going to the movies before they give that up. And I think we're, you're, we're still seeing that people are buying their cannabis. What, what we're seeing, hearing a lot from operators is they're really just downshifting to some value products. Um, and so they're still getting their cannabis. They're just trying to choosing cheaper cannabis, you know, with the money they have to spend. So um, you have part of the slowdown in cannabis is a little bit of a, you know, kind of the commoditization, but also just, you know, a little bit of slowdown there at the register. Um, it's not going away. You know, there's just, you know, more states coming online, more consumers that are going to learn about it. You know, it's just the um, the long trend uh, of growth here. We'll just have some years where it's not 25 or 30 percent. It's just 5 percent or 10 percent. You know, this kind of feels like one of those years, you know, off the heels of, you know, some really blockbuster years, you know, around COVID and the stimulus checks. And that probably drove people to buy more cannabis than they are today. Yeah. Sarah, as someone who's out in California way, um, there's so many issues in that marketplace, and yet the numbers are still very supportive of the number one market in the United States is still California. So no matter how screwed up it is, there's still a pretty vibrant community out there, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think we're just a state full of stoners, um, to be honest with you. So we like to consume and yes, um, but I truly do. I think, you know, I grew up here in San Diego in the 80s. It was very common for everyone to be smoking cannabis all around. So I think it's just been more accepted in general, specifically in California. And that helps. And I think as the new markets come on and acceptance becomes wider spread and that whole stigma thing, I can't believe we're still talking about stigma, but as when that goes away, then those markets will grow. But I still think California might hold on to that number one spot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and it's interesting. Now, now, now Sabo, I, you've, you've transitioned out a little bit. You've gone away from the vape world and you're now into the more of the wellness uh, world. Is that accurate? Yes. And, you know, I was basically consuming cannabis for wellness. And that's why I created a vape to have a healthier um, delivery mechanism for cannabis. But so I kind of think of it one as the same. It's just that instead of inventing devices now, I'm just sharing mental models and different things of that nature. There you go. And, and you're a coach, am I right? Uh, yes, I teach uh, mindset and meditation. And I do a little bit of manifestation on the side as well. Well, I, I could use all three of those M's at some point. We'll we'll chat. 
We'll, hey, we'll chat. We'll, we'll hey, real, chat. Real quick, Jimmy, real quick, Jimmy, because I want to ask about his exit. Do you Go have ahead. any advice, Sabo, on, on how to get capital? Like you started your company, you got some investment capital. How did you do it? Do you have any advice on how to do that? And can you talk a little bit about, you know, an exit that you that you had? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I guess serendipitously or synchronistically, um, ArcView is here. So um, to raise capital, I, I, um, this was back in 2015, I joined ArcView and did the pitch event there. And by winning ArcView, that, that was like such like a huge thing at the time to be able to just go to investors and let them know that we're a past ArcView winner and these are our credentials and things of that nature. And um, I got so many different conversations out of that and it really helped us um, jump out of the gates because at that time I was pitching a $600 desktop vaporizer and you know vape pens were just becoming very popular. So um, I don't think that without winning the pitch event, it would have been easy for me to raise capital. Now, as far as an exit goes, um, that part I have I have less to talk about in that uh, like I, I stepped down from running the company. I was just getting a little bit too burnt out. Um, uh, coincidentally, my second daughter was born the day I was pitching at Arcview. So, you know, there was like this very crisp memory in my mind of like when my cannabis career got started was the same day my second daughter was born. So over the course of the last five years, you know, like trying to be a father as well as being an entrepreneur in a rapidly changing environment, um, you know, like it was hard for me to be the best CEO or be the best father. And I had to make a choice, which was to be the best father. So um, the company is still going on right now. Uh, we haven't had an exit, but uh, we have had other people ask to buy um, some of our intellectual property. So we're currently going through that process right now. So um, to be determined on how the exit went, but my advice would be always, always to the best of your ability, be your authentic self. Um, when investors are pushing back, when investors are telling you to do things that are against your own intuition, you know, just trust yourself because, you know, being a lifelong cannabis user, I've listened to advice from some investors that told me to change the product and it was always disastrous and it was always to appease them. So my one word of advice as a coach now, or just not as a coach, just giving free advice is to really trust yourself because I look at entrepreneurship as a spiritual journey, one where you will discover more about yourself than literally, maybe only parenting has been uh, a more, more um, eye-opening journey for me. But between the two, you know, like being able to really trust yourself and understand that if you make a mistake, that was your mistake to learn and not to, not to bend to the will of the investors or the people that are funding your company, because, you know, it's always important to keep them happy and, and to have gratitude for the money that they put in, but um, you're the expert that they bet on. So remain the expert. Oh man, that is great advice. That was you, have great. No, <laughs> you have no idea how much that hit home with me in so many ways. And, and Scott, I'm watching you in the zoom room and I'm watching you, you know, nod your head. And I, and I see some beautiful children behind you. So I'm guessing you understand uh, the challenges of being a parent as well, right? I've got, these are just three of them. I have another little one too. So I, I know Woo! firsthand being a parent uh, as well as being an entrepreneur and the ups and downs, you know, I think they're just almost more exaggerated. And so the challenges you have to face and, you know, maintain a positive attitude for those around you, you know, is a lot. So cannabis is something that's helped me, you know, greatly through that uh, as well. And, you know, being a part of the industry and making it more broadly is part of my mission. 
Fantastic. And and I can tell you as an entrepreneur who's made a lot of mistakes, I'm the smartest guy in the room because of it. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. Not even close. I'm very self-aware. I get it. And it has been the most challenging time of my life in so many ways. You know, I started my Scott, you guys are all laugh about this. 2008. You remember when the entire world's economy got cut in half, right? Sure. That was the first weekend I opened my first business. This is my wow. second business. Okay? <laughs> wow. My dad always said, you never make it easy, do you? And I go, nope, I haven't made it easy. <laughs> and I found, and I have found a home in, in media, which is where I've been for the most of my career. But being in media in the cannabis space is double challenging, let's just say, because nobody likes you pretty much. And you mentioned the stigma. I mean, even at the bar last night, my I had a the dinner at a bar and I was dealing with two strangers on either side of me. And as soon as I mentioned the word cannabis, the conversation stopped. And that's an illegal state in Massachusetts. This, this is what I, it's still here. And it's all about education there. They were both, they had no idea what that, you know, they figured, Oh man, you must be a stoner. And I'm like, I'm really not. Okay. I mean, am I a medical patient? Yes, I am. Do I use it medicinally? Yes, I do. Am I trying to be responsible in my use? 100%. In fact, it was Steve D'Angelo's cannabis manifesto book. When I read that, I said, that's exactly how I view this plant medicine. It really hit home with me. And of course, he's one of the founders of ArcView that's having a big conference this week in New York City. Sarah, I look forward to seeing you there. Yes. Uh, so all right. I, I really do. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And and Scott, I really enjoyed listening to you as well, sir. And and thank you so much for uh, joining us here on Green Rush Live for at least a, a few minutes anyway. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll be on a panel on Thursday uh, on M&A preparing for the exit. So we can talk about that then more too. Well, I'm prepared for the M, not necessarily the exit yet, but we'll, we can certainly talk and I'll be listening and taking good notes. And I, I look forward to that. In fact, Scott, I'd love to set up a time where the two of us can just sit down and have another conversation one-on-one -on -one for my uh, the next uh, the next show, because I'm always seem to be producing the next piece of content, the next thing. And uh, and Sarah, I look, of course, uh, looking forward to seeing you. And and say, well, uh, great to talk with you. I'm glad you made it. And, and Josh is the one who delivered you. So I hope you won't be a stranger to us. I hope you'll like, share and subscribe. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think I actually signed on. I was supposed to sign on at 2 p.m. Someone told me to sign on at 1.30. So I apologize if I came on at the wrong time. Yeah, well, it's just, a, it, look, I'm in East Coast time, so I don't have a clue <laughs> what time it is in Pacific time. But I do know this. It's the top of the hour. We're going to take a break. I want to thank Sarah and, and Sabo and also uh, Scott for joining us. We're going to have a whole new panel. And if Jeff Finkel gets off his plane in time, he'll be joining us as well to continue to preview the ArcView Live in New York City Investment Conference coming up uh, next week. Don't go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. 
I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.